Business is done through and with people. And I truly, truly believe that. So it's, it's the people component first. When folks ask what your favorite part is about whatever it is you're doing, and it's cheesy, and sometimes I get an eye roll, but, uh, but it's, it is the people. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as in retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. I'm Brian O'Neill, and I'm here today with Natalie DeVos Burchart. Hey, Natalie, welcome, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, yeah. Brian. Thanks no for having problem. me. No problem. No problem. So, Natalie is down in Texas, and she owns or is an ownership in almost 3,500 plus unit. I believe somewhere around 11 or 1,200 as a GP, and the rest is LPs. Backstory: I'll just give you a quick backstory on, on Natalie. She's, you know, a engineer in, in the oil and gas industry originally. I think you got your master's degree. You went to work for Exxon Mobil, and then you were a VP in, I can't say the name right, but Bioorgia Trading? Bioorgia Trading. Trading. And then made the jump over to multifamily and has a pretty good portfolio. And we know each other, interestingly, from a mastermind group, the Sumrock Mastermind. And just one little comment that I always find interesting is you never know who you're talking to or sitting to in some of these groups. There's the people that get on stage and the people that will be within two minutes tell you exactly how big and awesome they are and all the units they have. And then you run to people like Natalie that you have no idea that she is like a heavyweight powerhouse, you know, over a thousand units GP and been doing this for a while because she doesn't flaunt it. I think you, my wife, talked about kids and stuff all the time. And it's just, it's always an interesting room. It's sort of a humbling room because everyone is just kind of like doing awesome, I guess you would say. It's, it's, I, I'm used to being a, the person that's sort of, I feel myself equivalent to, the, to a room I'm in. And now it's like, wow, I'm like, I'm like the small dog in this room. So it, it, it's really neat to meet people like you and be able to talk to you. So thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, it sounds like you're putting yourself in the right room. Yeah, rooms. for sure. So for apartments, I was kind of going through your portfolio real quick, and I saw you had a lot of Class C apartments in your portfolio. And I was just curious how they've performed over the time, if you continue to do them, what's your, what, your, what your philosophy was first getting into Class C. And if you can explain the listeners, our listeners many times will be newer to the multifamily investing what even class C is. Oh, so you got several questions in there. Well, we'll start with the definition for uh, class C. The class of apartments is typically uh, defined by uh, its age, the location of the asset, and the, the demographics of the residents. And it could be that a few of those are class B or higher, um, higher level, but um, C would typically be a 60s or 70s built uh, property, in an older area, you might have a lower median income, 40000 50000 a year. And that's, you know, maybe moving up now with, with inflation and wage, wage pressures. But yeah, your demographics are, are working class. And then the, um, the reason for class C's in my portfolio, uh, typically that's been the most readily available in some of the markets where I've concentrated on. So there's availability, the broker connections and listings that have, uh, that have come out. Uh, I could also say I, I like to do the extra work um, for the returns. Not that not that I'm a glutton for punishment, but there there is extra work and risk that comes with uh, with Class C. Uh, thankfully, my portfolio or the the Class C apartments that I have, I've had for a while. So we've uh, for the most part executed the business plan, increased the value on those. Um, so their their performance, while the valuations have come down slightly in the last year, um, the overall returns have more or less been been achieved at or 
above uh, Proforma. Fast forward to today or the last year and a half or so, I'm not acquiring more Class Cs because of that, uh, that risk and work uh, associated with them. So trying to high grade my time and um, the um, average year of construction, if you want to boil it down to that, of the, uh, the properties in my portfolio. So what's some, some war stories of the risk and the work involved in a Class C? And I'm probably this. I'm probably the same, the same type of person. And last two houses I personally bought for myself, I buy the the one the realtor can't sell. And then for some reason, I'm attracted to the, you know, the house that the old grandma lady painted pink and has you know bad hardwood floors because I see the the bones in it and what I can do with it. But it it definitely adds to the. Uh, to the workload. So sorry, I, I interrupted you. You're going to tell us some of the, the war stories for class No, no, no. C. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's great that you, you relate to components. And I think that's why you do, you do podcasts. It's for people to, you know, recognize themselves and some of the, the character traits or things that, that folks do. Um, and, and some folks are driven by the, the challenge and the, the, that opportunity and, and carrying out what they're seeing as their vision. War stories. I mean, um, not that I've had an entire roof collapse, but um, but major major roof leaks, uh, main line breaks. So we're talking about the main water line coming into a property breaking and having e- your residence being without water and under the pressure to to get that fixed. And that's just aging aging infrastructure of, of these deals. So you have to go into them with your eyes wide open. Uh, well capitalized uh, and and with the experience of of being ready to address um, ahead of time what uh, what p- potential issues you can you can have i mean we we jet the these galvanized plum uh, you know main lines we we jet them on a quarterly basis uh, at a 1965 property we have and um, this this property's great i just wish it wasn't so old because you're fighting entropy and decay every day whether it's a class a b or c i mean it's a it's a property it's being you know beaten down by sun weather etc and you're you're fighting fighting those elements uh and, and, time pe- and people uh, to keep they, it you know they can only they can only stand so many door slams until the door breaks off its hinges and after uh 70 years of it yeah things start to just wear out they can't take yeah. it anymore i mean i have i have two i have two kids and kids can do a lot of the, ma- Damage, the amount of baseboards <laughs> I've replaced in this house we just bought already. They ride around my house on these scooters and they just clip off the baseboards. And it's like in a few years, this place is going to look like a, a, a roller rink. <laughs> yeah, no. And if you're lucky enough to have some kind of like good size loop on your main um, main floor that they can just go around. I mean, that's we, we've got a, a ladybug on wheels. And I have to make sure the, the dishwasher is not open so they don't like hit it on the way around the corner. Yeah, our kids just zoom back and forth, back and forth in our main living room to our dining room to our master bedroom because we just moved in and all the furniture isn't here. So it's just a big open, open well, spot. Congratulations on your recent move. That's exciting. It's one of those big life, life events. So able to the bigger it. house for the kids, basically. How about clientele and residences in C, is that more of a, a headache or is that more the property manager's concern? You're more, more worried about the asset? Well, the, the property manager's concerns are your concerns. So you don't, there's, there's, it's not like it goes away because you have, because you have a property management company. So those, those residents are your customers. Those are the people that you're working to serve. And um, you're going to have naturally more more delinquency more turnover in a class c uh because of the the demographics there is i don't want to say more more transients but um that's just been my my experience uh, it doesn't mean that you can't work with with them and work through it it's just being you know more on top of it uh you can't be behind or um lazy about uh, not you know putting out the notices and and filing for eviction because that is it is you you're running a business when you buy an apartment complex you've bought a business you're looking to run it as efficiently as possible and when you've got delinquency and and um, renters that aren't paying you've got to you've got to take the appropriate uh, appropriate steps it feels harsh when you first start it, but that those are the rules of the business. And so there are going to be more, more evictions with, 
uh, with class C typically. That, that's all that that to the listeners is factored into the property and how it how it functions yes. and, and what so you pay when, for it when you when, buy it and sell it. So it's not it's not the risk yeah, is an yeah. offset. So when you're when you're underwriting, you you've got your your physical occupancy, and then what you've got what's called an economic occupancy, which which is what you're actually collecting in terms of your gross potential rent. Your gross potential rent is assuming all the units are um, occupied and paying full market market rent and then you know how close you are to that number okay so you started in class c and now you mm -hmm. are continuing class c you're going to go to b what's if you change is there a reason no 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 my my la my last one was a really big deal in uh houston uh we it was five six minutes away from where we used to live we moved to North DFW about uh, a little less than two years ago. So a market I'm very familiar with, and it's a 2008 construction uh, class A. So very different from um, from the older older C's, and uh, that's where I prefer to be now is uh, is newer newer assets. Partly because I'm able to do bigger deals now. So class C's uh, th that's where you for the for the most part when people get into the apartment business that's where you start. Because it's a, a lower ticket price per door, uh, if you will, or um, more accessible, uh, and then you work your way up to you know a, a larger. In the, in the case of this uh, this Houston deal, it was over sixty million and a twenty six million dollar raise. Is it also broker relationships? It's harder to get a non class C when you first start, or is it really just the, the money side of it? It's okay. both. It's both. Got it. Yeah. They also want to kind of see how you do on a C, maybe, before you move up to a A or a B. So, how are the C's performing previously and now, and how do you think they're going to perform going forward? I wish I had a crystal Obviously. ball that was accurate. Um, if you're creating a budget so, or underwriting today, so this, so so this is this advice is worth what you're paying for it. No, I'm kidding. Um, my my guess is, I mean, we're we're going into or we're already in a recession. And I think class A and C are going to be affected by the recession. To what extent? I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but between class A and C, I would prefer to be on the and A why side is that? Uh, going into this. That because I think you know the the lower economic bracket. Uh, um, well, I mean, you you can you can argue both. So um, I, I do think people are going to be losing jobs, whether they're going to be the high-paying jobs or the, the lower ones. Um, I don't know, but uh, uh, I also think there's going to, if you can't afford your rent, which is going to be a lot of the Class C residents, you're going to combine households and, uh, and reduce the, the effective number of, of net renters. So that, that's... I guess the pressure on Class and maybe that maybe that pressure yeah. is across I guess the, the counter way. argument is the pressure on class A is yeah. people can downgrade out of their expensive apartment to save money and no one's building more class C but they are building more class A so that I guess is a pressure as well yeah but then but then you know every every class has yeah. a has a range right you have the brand new construction that's under lease up or still being built and then you have the um the stuff that's already been around for for 10 or um you know, 15 years. I saw that you're invested in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is always curious to me. Is that like the future new Texas or is it a completely different market? So I can, I can go through the, the thing, the, you know, the, the thought process okay. sequence of events that yes, yes. So apartment deals happen through and with people. So that's the first thing. Uh, and, um, the first group of folks that uh, I started you know, connecting with and uh, we decided to go after our first deal. It was their first deal. It was my first deal. All of us were new and going you know, to do our first deal and um, they happened to be based uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, so we were doing due diligence in Oklahoma and this was back in 2000, um, early 2016. I started in 2015 but uh, and was doing due diligence, you know, late 2015, early 2016, and started going out and, and looking at deals. And when I started doing apartments, I felt like it was near the end of of the market, like the markets like Dallas were overheated, and I needed to diversify outside of 
these primary markets uh, on um, assets that were uh, more of a yield play, steady cash flow, not a you know not the huge upside type of thing. And uh, my thinking was wrong at the time, but I didn't know that. Uh, so I was going for geographic diversification, and um, and it took us several uh, different deals and and um, due diligence in Oklahoma before, before we did our first three property portfolio uh, in Oklahoma. And then um, we built on that in that it was relationship-based uh, on the property management company. And that property management company at the time uh, that we were working with was based out of Arkansas. And they started bringing us um, deals, deals that they would either know of because they were managing or know of because they were in that market and um, actually secured under an LOI and would pass that LOI on type of type of thing. So again, relationship based. Um, so that's how a lot of those first deals happened with the relationship with Tariq and Ivan in Oklahoma, and then the property management company that we were working with at the time, Trinity, uh, based in Arkansas. So we did deals in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Uh, because once you get traction in a given market, then then you are able to build on that. Because okay, no yeah, that was my next question: was okay, is Arkansas? Why Arkansas? So it was like it was a connection, and you had pe- people that could manage there or bringing you those deals. So might as well, got it. Okay, yeah. So yep. like, what's your primary role? Are you do you help raise money? Are you focused on capex and the property fixing? It's asset management, everything. It depends. I hate that answer, and I'm giving you that answer. It depends. It depends because it depends on the deal. It depends on all of the people coming together and how who plays what role. I can do any of them because I have my own uh, properties that I own individually uh, and have to do all those roles because there's nobody else to, to turn to. So I have the capacity to do all of them. I don't need to, so I'm flexible. Um, where I, uh, the part I enjoy the most is the, the people part working with, uh, investors. Um, it bothers me when I invest passively to not have somebody available and answering the questions or taking a week or two or more or never answering, uh, an investor question. Um, that's, that's the part I enjoy because if you know what you're doing and you're transparent, uh, you can get back to investors quickly. Uh, so I, I like that part. Um, and because of the people component, you know, that that's where the, the capital raising comes in. Um, I'm on the calls in terms of the, uh, the weekly, le- weekly calls, moving the, the business plan forward. Uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, so, and I can lead or not lead parts of it. It typically, um, tends to be a little fluid where I'll jump in and be like, okay, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, we just, uh, ordered a whole bunch of, uh, laundry equipment for one property. It's not that I'm the main CapEx person. We actually have a guy with construction background doing that, but, um, he, I think was either traveling or doing something that day. And on that call, when we decided to, um, replace all of our, um, owned laundry equipment, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll run with that ball. So got it. So you're, depends. you originally had some single family, correct? And you still own those, don't you? I got into apartments at a time when I had 30 single-family rentals that I was self-managing in Houston, and I was pregnant (laughs) and working full-time. Yes, I was pregnant with our first child. This was in 2015, managing 30 single families on nights and weekends and VP of my own company in commodity trading. So return on time and return on life. That's why. (laughs) Okay. Wow, that's that's incredible. (laughs) So what is your 2023 looking for? Like, what's your game plan? Like, what's your current idea of where you're going to go or want to do? So, so, um, you know, because you're familiar with Jesse Itzler, my Misogi for this year is not apartments. Okay. So Misogi is your one big thing that happens in the year that defines your year. And uh, as Jesse puts it, sometimes your Misogi chooses you and um, that could be uh, personal thing where you've got uh, a parent that that falls ill or or needs to be taken care of or or passes passes away and then the things that that come from that. Uh, in our in our case, we're very blessed. Um, we're expecting 
our third child in a couple months. So that's, that's my defining, um, thing this year that I'm, that I'm working around, but that's not making my money work harder, <laughs> not to the, the podcast, but, um, from a uh, financial perspective and apartment perspective, um, right now in the first half of the year, I'm maximizing liquidity. So that's my strategy. Um, even if I'm selling a property at a discount to what it was worth a year ago, if it still makes sense, uh, and we, ex- we, we rolled out our business plan and everything else, I'm selling. So, um, so I'm in the process of, of selling a deal right now that we've owned for four years. Uh, and, um, so maximizing that liquidity selling some of the, the single family that I've had for well over a decade. Um, these are cash flowing, these are good, but, um, but I have some, uh, liquidity tied up there that, um, I want to have standing by for when something, um, something comes up, which I don't know if it's going to be in the second half of this year or in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I do expect more deal flow to be happening, uh, this year. Right now it's pretty, uh, slim pickings. There's not a whole lot being, uh, marketed, uh, brokered. The, uh, the potential sellers are, are I think, holding on as long as they possibly can, uh, deferring a, a sale for as long as they can. But, uh, but there are, there are going to be pressures. Um, I mean, they're natural pressures that are happening because of the, uh, the fed and the, the interest so- rate market and, um, you know, the, the, where, where people are at. Where do you hold this? Plans. Like as a personal finance question, where are you holding your liquidity wallets waiting to be used? Is it just dying in a bank account or do you have somewhere else that you can hold it? No. Well, it's some, 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 some of it is, um, like the, the, I, I still need to further optimize some of our, um, uh, held CapEx funds within, some of the entities, uh, because that, that sits in cash. And when, when you've got a large, large number that hurts just to see it sit day to day, uh, I've, I've worked on different, um, uh, options that are still relatively liquid anywhere from, uh, 30 to 90 days, uh, on the 30 day front, I'm able to get about a 5%. I think that that's, that's pretty good because you're balancing at least some, some return and, uh, and what's considered liquidity, from a, uh, a balance sheet perspective. And if I'm willing to go up to 90 days, I'm, I'm getting closer to 10, 11%. What, what vehicles are those in? Uh, lending, lending. And, and I've always done lending with, uh, for example, my retirement accounts. I actually don't use any of them for, uh, for real estate and, uh, um, I've been doing, uh, so is this lending. fix and flippers getting hard money loan? What's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, so I've, and again, it's relationships. Uh, I've met folks that I've loaned to, um, on four five, six, seven. I mean, just rinse, repeat every time they know me, I know them. So we have a, a standard, uh, standard thing going there. Uh, and then I got to the point where I had more available than they had deal flow. Um, so I started looking at, uh, at lending funds and found one that, uh, that I was comfortable with that had been, been okay. around. For so it's a, a fund that basically does that at scale that you can put your money in and out of. Yes. And, and they, and they lend to, uh, they, it's for the most part, hard money loan terms. Uh, and they, uh, they lend on either small apartments or fix them, fix and flips. Great. And, stuff. and their, their historical returns are around the 12% mark. Um, and from the, la- the last couple of years, I've gotten close okay. to 11 those are cool. Percent and some change. How do people find out about those? You said it's just relationship based, basically. People, it's yeah. the daisy chain of what? What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm doing that. Well, let me look into it. Uh, and if you're motivated enough, you actually follow through and pick up the phone or send the emails. And uh, yeah, for people that are listening, even if you don't want to do any of that or you don't have the connections, at least put it in a money market fund or something. Money markets used to be have a time duration, but they got rid of that. Surprisingly, I found out recently that at least go get four percent something something besides zero well, yeah. you need you need yeah. to beat inflation so yeah. you know not, four, probably not beating true inflation but at least it's not zero <laughs> um i'm always surprised the amount of money i hear people have sitting in banks yeah. that is at zero and it's like and it's been there for years and years and it's like ouch like do 
do the math on how much that's costing you. Yeah, you 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 have to feel it burn like the burn and the pain. Uh, I think if you're it, yeah, understanding money and and how it works every day that goes by that that it's not doing something for you. Your your money needs a job, uh, and that's not even my quote. Um, the the newels uh, are the ones that that came up with it, where they said uh, every dollar needs needs a job, and sometimes that job is just being liquid and sitting there. So uh, because you need it for your balance sheet, for loan qualifications, um, whatever whatever it is, uh, but it it has a uh, yeah a job exactly. To it. And I think it's partly just been the mindset for a lot of last 10, 12 years that inflation hasn't been a topic. Doesn't mean it wasn't there in a lower grade form, but it just, I think it was, people were less aware that it was there until it kind of obviously exploded and now everyone realizes that it was always there and now it's worse and they probably should have been paying attention to it. It's interesting how mm -hmm. sort of set it and forget it until something bigger happens. Okay, so we talked about, talked about that. You raise money from investors. What have you felt are some limiting beliefs investors have had? And like, how do you work through those? Like what's, so a lot of people aren't familiar with real estate investing and really doing any investing outside stocks and bonds. And when you first start looking into it, and even when you start talking to people about it, you know, friends and family, they kind of act like you're investing with, you know, the Russian mafia or something, just this odd anomaly thing that must be high risk, you know, it's equivalent to crypto or something, if it's not single family investing. So what have you found are some of the common things for like a first time multifamily investor, passive investor, they kind of run into mentally, they have to kind of become comfortable with in order to take the next step and feel that it's a, it's a good move and it's a good diversification of their money. So, so I'm not in the business of educating people on, on apartments. There are plenty, plenty of other people um, that do that. So you can always point them in that direction if they're not already um, seeking out that knowledge and education. Um, what I would say is um, when you're talking to an investor, you're always trying to um, learn about them, understand where they are on their, on their journey, what their criteria, motivations, and um, such so it's because it's personal investing is is a is a personal um, you know sensitive thing that's full of uh, there's a lot of emotions and a lot of fear uh, involved and when you're talking to them and, and realize let's say that they're on the the earlier you know beginning of their of their journey um, I wouldn't say my my job is to um, to eliminate those fears but it, but it's it's to at least empathize and and remember what it was for me to make my first investment. So go back to the time in 2015 because that's that's when it was. It was it was what, eight years ago um, when I wired that first amount of money and the the trepidation, the <gasps> jumping off of a cliff. There it goes. Is it ever coming back? And um, sharing that and um and um being in that state of mind when talking with them and sensitive uh about those feelings and uh not having a conversation every time with an investor expecting them to invest uh the conversation at least for me uh tends to I'd like it to be a little bit more natural of a let's get to know each other understand each other um and talk about where, where you're at, what you what I've done and, and go from, go from there. Uh, and if it does result in them feeling comfortable to invest, great. But, um, you know, ideally we, we also got other things out of the conversation. I was able to help them with, with something else or they were able to help me with something else. So going, going into those conversations with an, with an open mind, I think, um, you always hear people invest with folks that they know, like, and trust. Um, that trust is not cheap, and it doesn't come quickly uh, in a phone conversation or an email. Um, people don't trust you because they've gotten 10 email blasts from you. They do because you're a person, a person that they've um, either related to, connected with, uh, and that you've put in the time to um to build that trust bridge. 
so um, if if I can help somebody out by connecting them with somebody else uh, or with a lending fund that I happen to use, what, whatever it is, I try to do that because then we'll walk away from that um, that exchange. Ideally, I mean, the most effective is in person. I really actually, I, I don't like Zoom. I think you need like seven or eight Zoom calls for the same uh, same effect in person. And I still talk to a lot of people also on the phone. Uh, but uh, you walk away from that conversation remembering the, the other person um, and remembering them maybe not necessarily for just uh, the fact that they might uh, be active in the apartment space so that when there is an investment opportunity, it's not something that's, that's in a vacuum. There's, there's a, a relationship and, and trust that's been, that's been built. And, um, and the, the fastest way of, of building that trust is, is doing right by them on their first investment. Uh, so, uh, that first investment has so many emotions and, and things tied to it. Um, communication, transparency throughout the process and, um, meeting or exceeding what you promised to them. I mean, that, that's when, that's when it's like wildfire compounding, compounding growth, because you've got somebody that's, that's happy about what they've, they've achieved when you're raising capital the next time around, all of those repeat investors are pretty much the first wires that you get like same day or next day. So it's that, it, that easiest tranche of, um, of capital. And I know we're getting into the nut, nut, some of the, the nuts and bolts, but um, beyond that, they're also the ones that go, you know what? I have this you know, person I used to work with, or this guy that owns these, uh, this car dealer, these car dealerships. And, uh, he's really busy. He hasn't had a time to look at, but he really wants to get into, can you talk to him? Uh, and so they start referring you. And, um, those are so powerful because they're already somebody that's experienced the, the process of investing and gotten to the point where they're comfortable. And it's no longer me going, Hey, I think this is something that might be a fit for you and this is why it's you know, a warm recommendation from somebody that they already know and have a relationship with. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. Yeah, if it worked for your friends, you trust your friends, you know how they think, and then it sort of mm -hmm. moves you past that first worry of, you know, is, is, this, is this a salesman or is this someone that, you know, they've delivered for my friend, they've met their promise. And it's really a lot of business relationships are like that. If you think anywhere you go, you meet someone that you go to buy a car and you have a great experience and then it meets your expectations. They take care of you like they said they were going to do and they didn't hassle you or change the price. Like you're going to tell someone else, oh, that, that's a good place to go. And you go to a restaurant for the first time and you enjoy it and they're nice and you meet the owner and they meet and deliver or exceed the expectations. You're going to go back. You're going to do more business with them. You're going to tell people about it. It's really the basic fundamentals of almost any business. It just happens to be the the product is an investment as opposed to a, a physical thing maybe you get or a service. But the philosophy behind it is almost the same. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's it's simple. It's simple, but you'd be surprised I, how many people... Having miss. invested a lot recently, I can tell you that not everyone delivers on even the basic, the basics. I mean, the investment may deliver, but just the the business side of it, the communication side of it, the follow through, the acknowledgement of, I just wired you a six figure number and I haven't heard anything since then. Like, what does that person feel like? And it's my first relationship with you. Um, and I noticed you do a, a meetup group. For me personally, as an investor, feeling most, most comfortable out investing in, in real estate, because that's something that's newer for me in the last few years, it's just being in rooms around other people that are doing it and not feel like I'm alone and like feeling, oh, this is what this person, this is how they do it. You know, they've been doing it for 10 years. You don't feel as, as alone in the process, even if you're sitting in a room full of nothing but passive investors. So just getting around the, the people that do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, 
Yeah, and I started the meetup in 2017, and I I halted it during during COVID. I mean, my wife like yours is a nurse, so we were we we did the quarantine thing and and all that fun stuff. But um, but the meetup meetup thing um was great from so many perspectives. Uh, I'm not a public speaker or somebody that enjoys being in front of people talking. So it was a growth thing for me. It was one of those, okay, I don't like to do it, so therefore I must push myself um, to do it. And uh, and I think a lot of folks shy away from it because they go, oh, well, I don't have enough experience uh, to put myself out there. I don't have um, the, the resume to, you know, for it to be worth people's time. And, and I think especially since COVID, people are leaving their house less to go do these types of things than they than they used to. There's there's a little bit more of a of a barrier, but um, it was it was so powerful to be repeatedly doing something every month consistently, having folks able to come up to me and ask questions and uh, you know build that relationship, invest in you know repeat interactions so that the trust um, is there. And sometimes it it takes an investor a couple months on the on the low end. It can take years for other folks to wrap their, not just their brain around, but their, their risk appetite. I mean, and some people's risk appetite will never be, you know, uh, apartments and, and that's, and that's okay too. But having the, the patience and understanding the, the power in, um, being consistent about those, um, those interactions with people being consistent, consistent about what it is that, that you do. And the meetup is a platform to communicate that and connect um, with people. And after I moved, I stopped it because my meetup base is in Houston. And uh, last year, uh, I recommitted to it. So every wow. month, I drive down oh. for four and a half hours uh, for the meetup. And uh, people think I'm crazy. Uh, my wife's like, "Is it? Is it this week again?" I'm like, "Yep, yep." And I spend spend the night because I don't. I did it. Last month, I actually drove back the same day, but but it's it's powerful in that folks that are twenty minutes, fifteen minutes away from the meetup venue, when they start questioning, going, "Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna come," they've told me this because they've shared that they 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 remind they're like, "Wait, Natalie's driving four and a half hours to be here. If she can do that, I can drive twenty minutes and show up." <laughs> so. So I got these folks going. I'm here because I know you're making the effort to be here, uh, and I didn't think about that as well, they leverage. Also have, a con- but, have a connection um, with you, but so. it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you if you see somebody, you know, on a monthly basis, and you're and you're honest and interactive and everything else, yes, there is a connection, and and I want to leave those every time, you know, deepening the connections, making new connections. That's the whole point. My my problem is that that core group or audience is almost five hours away now, but, uh, but it's still worth something to Yeah. Me. And it's good to get in front of people and, yeah. and just have a personal connection. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so, so it's very old, old school. It's not high velocity in terms of internet marketing. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, growing growing an in, uh, 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 an investor database. So I don't have a, a website. I don't have uh, a fancy. I don't have a funnel. I don't have all of the things that you would typically associate with uh, with folks in the capital raising space, because I've done it more slowly, organically. Um, if I'm wanting to do bigger deals, I'm probably going to need all those things. So um, those are on my goal or horizon for, for the future because it does systematize and, um, you know, return on time, <laughs> getting back to that, uh, return on, on my life, but it does systematize things and, and, you know, makes it, makes it easier. But, uh, but I haven't gone that, that route and I've done what I've done That's impressive without that to do it. Just, no, I don't, don't want to call it the old school way, but there's so many people leveraging Facebook ads and all these funnels and VAs in the Philippines doing mass phone calls. Mm-hmm. And you're out there driving four and a half hours, meeting people in person and making connections to, I'm sure your investors have a very good bond and connection with you because of that though. So there's something you said about that. Yeah. And they, and they know, they know that if they text or call me, I'm, I'm going to answer and I'm not going to not give them exactly what it is that we're doing the the good news 
the mediocre and, and sometimes the not so good news. I think where people might fail or trip up, I don't want to say fail, but might, might get tripped up is, is not fully appreciating the privilege of running a company or being, being an owner and, and, and stewarding um, investors' money. That's a huge, huge privilege. And when you've owned a business and, and you know, not all businesses succeed, um, you, there's a different thinking that has to happen. Uh, and and you have to mature in, into that and and think that way to you know basically you're 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 serving your your customers it's customers first I mean you you it's business business one on one but your customers are more than just your residents it's your residents your investors you're you're working you know for for them in a way uh, yes you worked your, you might have worked yourself out of a job um, but you better enjoy that new job of serving residents and, and investors. Uh, otherwise, how long are you going to be able to sustain doing this and being, being yeah, happy? Doing if you're it? not for just the money, almost any business, you're not going to, you're not going to do very well for a long time or make people happy. And especially in a business that requires connections and relationships. Yeah. No. And when we, when we built our um, physical commodity trading company, uh, two of us left Exxon Mobil together and it was okay here we go we've got two phones two computers and you know one of those like shared office incubator spaces was what we were using at the time uh and our customers were major oil companies shell valero chevron uh, exxon mobile <laughs> doesn't give you business when you leave exxon mobile so they weren't one of our customers starting out but you're you're working with all these major oil companies as customers it's like, how do you distinguish yourself? You're you're nobody. You're a brand new company. You've been in existence for a couple months. Why would they, you know, do business with you? And and it was all reputation. It was all um, do what you what you say you're going to do, uh, even if there's a case of what's called a force majeure, a hurricane event in the Gulf Coast, and you've promised to deliver X number of barrels by X date. And you can't get them out of the facility where where those barrels are. You truck them down from, and we were talking about Oklahoma. In this case, we truck them out of Oklahoma down to the Texas Gulf Coast. It costs us more money to do that. We lost money and margin on that on that trade, but we delivered on what we promised to deliver on contractually. Preserve, and the relationship was so positive, so positively impacted by that, you know, act of, of trucking down, you know, these barrels from Oklahoma, that we got more business from that, that later. And, um, you know, our, our reputation, uh, was, was solidified and that's how you build a business. That's how you build a company. Uh, and it's, it's the simple stuff, but, um, when you don't just hear it in quotes or hear it on a podcast, but internalize it and, and embody it, it, it's so it, it's so powerful, but it takes putting your customer, your who you're serving first, and understanding that you're in business because of them. Well, that's the kind of stuff you want to hear from someone you invest with. So <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but it, but but I but I like to give the example because it it, it um, it's it's a general business one, and I'm, and the example I gave wasn't even uh, an apartment one. But it's one that I remember because because it felt like the right decision the whole whole way. You know, when 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 something's aligned and you and you don't feel like you're having to to fight yourself through the the pro, through the process. Um, and yeah, doing the right thing basically. So, in regards to oil and gas, if I can ask you a few oil and gas questions, I know you said you are not commodity expert anymore, but do you? It sounds like you do some small investing outside real estate, correct, in oil and gas. What's your crystal ball? I think you said you, well, are you bullish or bearish on the oil market? Because oil and gas is another thing that you can invest in outside the stock market, just like real estate that has become fairly popular, not popular, but in the news, I guess you'd say in the last few years. Well, it's it's another tax advantaged yeah. uh, investment and, and folks are, are, are chasing yield uh, and chasing tax advantages. So if, if there's, you know, if you can get both there, then it's going to be on naturally on a radar screen. Uh, and uh, while my experience has been downstream 
a midstream to downstream activity and, and primarily in operations and logistics. If I think about the, the pressures of recession and all of those things, my general view on, on crude oil uh, is bearish. I expect it to, to go down, fluctuates a lot with the, with the U.S. dollar and the value of the U.S. dollar. So those two are intimately connected uh, as well. Again, I don't, I don't have a, uh, a crystal ball or, or more necessarily more knowledge than the, than the next person. And there's plenty of analysts that, that do this for a living. Uh, I've ha- chosen to invest, and I made this investment last year, on a um, uh, drilling opportunity in, in the Permian Basin. It's small. Uh, and that was also relationship-based, where I, I knew the, the cast of characters, if you will. Uh, and uh, my brother-in-law had, had been invested with them for, for a few years and done, done well. So again, you know, referral, referral connections, they're, they, they're not too far away. Not that I've been to their house, but I could if I wanted to. I, I guess there's quotes that I try to fit into every podcast. And if I haven't yeah. already said this one, I'm going to say it now. That, that business is done through and with people. And I truly, truly believe that. So it's it's the people component first. When folks ask what your favorite part is about whatever it is you're doing, you're doing uh, my answer, and it's cheesy, and sometimes I get an eye roll, but uh, but it's, it is the people. And I'm not saying that to serve myself or to, to forward an agenda. It's truly um, the, the way I feel. Yeah, I was also introduced to oil and gas through through someone Originally, it was the tax advantages of it. And for people that aren't familiar with it, there's the tax code is favorable if you are invested a certain way into oil and gas exploration or development where you can typically consult your CPA, offset some of your active W-2 income or income that normally can't be sort of washed with a, a paper loss you can do with oil and gas. So that's what originally attracted me to it and then... Obviously, there's the ups and downs of the oil the, the oil market. When things do well, your investment does great. Oil prices go down too far, that check may get smaller. I thought the risk return was worth it, especially considering the tax savings. My return doesn't need to be great on that investment when you factor in the taxes. So I, I figure my risk is a little lower than a, a different investment that does, doesn't have the tax advantages. Yeah, you have to look at the whole, whole picture yeah. risk Taxes has been a big thing on my radar the last three or four years when that's sort of the, the peak of my businesses, I really started to realize how you can plan for taxes a lot better by changing your advisors, changing your investments, things like that, which no one ever told me about. A lot of people around me did. Oh, I had a, I had a big taxable event in 2017. Um, and uh, pretty much that year is when I uh, formally became a um, real estate professional by the IRS definition. And since that year, uh, that tax year, so 17, um, I haven't paid taxes, but it's this giant optimization dance. Uh, There's more art than there is science to it because of the uh, number of also passive investments I have. So I don't control those particular K-1s, but uh, just trying to, to balance all the activities so that you come in right kind of where you yeah it's kind of it's kind of want to be and it and it feels it feels like a game and it and it's one that motivates and excites me because it's it is like, like you're trying to predict the year a, trying to predict all the flows of money and taxes and then learn from the newest you know the people what the current tax code allows you to do and it's just sort of this massage of numbers and how you make things work to uh to maximize maximize your your taxes basically if you have the time i think it's really a time thing too Mm -hmm. like i was so absorbed in my businesses and jobs or people have you know kids and w-2s it takes time to figure that out and like you can pay people to do it for you if you find the right ones but it's hard to find the right ones honestly so i'll i'll walk you through my my thinking and and part of the motivation to 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 leave and not have a, a W-2. So I've been retired from a, a W-2 or a 9 to 5 since 2000. It's how much will I be making if I optimize that? And that, that, was, that was where I was like, am, am I going to be making more than a typical salary or, or really growing a, a business if I, if I take the time um, to put the time in to, uh, uh, to do that? And the answer was yes, and that made the decision easy. So in, in trading, you're always looking for arbitrage. You're looking for that, that price differential 
So um, that, that, that was a, a time, my time was going to be well spent focusing on that. So that's what I needed um, to do. But you're always chasing, I mean, you're, you're, we're, we're all arbitrage chasers uh, in everything that, that we're doing. Um, that's why we have VAs. That's why we look at, okay, is this a $10 an hour or a $15 an hour job um, that's going to liberate me to do something uh, higher level? Uh, is this 140 a door property something I can take to 170 or 200,000 uh, a door in a five-year time frame and what does that business plan look like and you've mentioned VAs it's funny I just just hired yesterday my two first VAs I've always been a always been a do it congratulations I don't <laughs> I don't have do any yourself, anymore <laughs> learn how to do it yourself kind of guy now I yeah. really am trying to turn a new leaf and figure out how to hire the who the who the who not how book I've read twice and it's like okay I need to do this the audiobook's pretty good too because they do they read a chapter and they do an interview with the author and read a chapter and interview. So it's kind of like a podcast book mix if anyone's ever interested in that. So I guess I just want to wrap it up on something that we talked about offline before we started the podcast of your concept of return on life. And we sort of related it to the Harder Working Money podcast name. And you, you were mentioning that return on life is sort of a a next a next step concept on that theory. Yeah. So so when you when you think about making your money work harder, um, then it boils down to okay, why? And and it needs to be tied to to purpose and uh, and your your life, um, so to speak. Uh, and you need to be doing it for that that pur- that purpose in order to stay um, motivated and the uh, and that that can be different things to different people, um, whether your, um, your, your goal is to, um, start and grow a charity, whether it's related to your family and kids, whether it's about, um, having more of those, those experience with, with the people that you love. I think life does boil down to, um, growing, growing as a person and, and giving. And then it's how does your money, uh, enable you to do more of that, uh, and um, I want to be able to give, you know, be more available of myself uh, to my to my family. And uh, I've always you talk ROI in in the business, whether you're looking at apartment investments, companies, oil and gas investments. Uh, it's all ROI, EBITDA, valuations. Um, and um, for a very long time, I would talk about return on time. Uh, because that that time component and the urgency was something I really felt the pressure of um, when I started. I had thirty rental properties, pregnant, working um, full time as a as a VP. So that return on my time, because there wasn't a whole lot of it, uh, was so crucial. And then I had a conversation last year with with Julie Roy, and we really can. I think we talked for two hours, but we really connected on that that return on time concept, and she corrected me and called it return on life, and that completely resonated. It's like, why are we here? Why are we here doing what it is we're doing in our lives, and how can we maximize that? Uh, and that ties into, you know, keynote speakers like Ed Milet and, and others, uh, maxing, maxing out your life, doing the most you can with this very precious thing called life that we that we have, uh, and, and keeping that, that sense of urgency and having that urgency uh, push you towards action, uh, I think, is is crucial. Wherever wherever that urgency comes from, and it, it can come from different different. Yeah, it's very good because like people. harder working money. I started this podcast. It's not about making more money at all. And at first, it was about how to get my how to make that money, giving my time back. But really, the time isn't isn't the end result. It's I want to have experiences with my kids. I don't want our life running past us while we're making money. And getting the time back then is the next step of allowing me to, or allowing anyone that you know wants to focus on that aspect of their life to open up and be able to spend time doing a charity if that's what you want to spend your life doing. And if you want to travel with kids or do a hobby or whatever life is to you, how can you get your money to help you achieve that. So it's not the money that allows you to do it. It's what 
freeing yourself from your life basically is just to produce money and nothing's left. Like that's not a way to live. You don't need money if, if that's all, if all you have. The money, yeah. the money doesn't do anything. The money doesn't no. do anything for you on its own. Uh, it really doesn't. Uh, and, and it's usually people that, that have it, that say that and, and, and all that, but, uh, but it is, I, I like that if we go, um, you know, in the wintertime, I grew up in, in Switzerland. I am fortunate enough to be a, a skier. I want our kids to experience and know how to ski. So our four-year-old has done two years worth of ski lessons in, in the, in the winter. Our seven-year-old went down blue slopes, um, with me. Uh, this uh, this winter that that means something to me. They're growing, they're learning a new skill, but it's also one that I grew up with, so I have a, a personal connection to, and to be able to share that with them, and you know, also be physically in a in a uh, able able to, and not taking my physical ability to be skiing for granted either. Um, and we we ski in uh, a resort called Winter Park where they actually have, I think, one of the world premier handicap skiing programs. So you're skiing down slopes um, with people in that would normally be in wheelchairs, that are blind. That that's also part of the experience that that uh, that I, I our kids get to get to And they're see. flying and I think sometimes that's too. Like I see some people like, how are you well, they're fearless. Their center of gravity is lower, and um, yeah, my the, my son's idea of of going down uh, the slope. It's like let me do it backwards, and that net caught me the first time, so I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> that's awesome. But that but that's life. That's life, right? And that's why we do what we do. And yes, it costs money um, to do that. And yeah, and you, we're, you need we're the time, and you need the money, so. and you can't do it if all you're doing is trading time for money. That you always hear that phrase but you have to find a different way. So that's what the goal here is. And then um, I I did want to share something um, personal, and it's not something that I normally, I mean, it's not something that I normally talk about, but um, but when I was mentioning urgency uh, earlier and not taking, again, your ability to do something um, for granted, I've had a uh, pacemaker for um, over 12 years um, because my heart stops. And it took several years to figure out that it was cardiac and that it was, in my case, my natural pacemaker not working. And um, once we figured it out, I stopped driving I, because my heart would just stop. And that's, that's life. You're, you're, you don't know whether or not you have tomorrow. You don't know whether or not. So, so do everything that you can to, to maximize it. I mean, I'm very lucky that they figured out what it was and that it was uh, an established, simple, simple fix. Uh, that pacemaker's already been changed out because with my condition, it lasts about eight or nine years. But um, the year I got my pacemaker, I ran a half marathon because I could. Um, and I felt the, the, the pressure of, I'm, I have, I, I, I'm, medically able I've got this gift of being able to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to keep running yeah, you, with it and keep doing you doing experience having it, it taken away I don't know yeah. about um, yeah. what's next yes yes I I experience collapsing on a regular basis more and more regularly because of um you know SA node dysfunction but uh and my last last time I did I mean my, my wife's a nurse she had to chest rub me and I came out of it and normally it's like I immediately know where you know get right back into it. And it took something out of me the, the last time. And fortunately I was on a ambulatory monitor and I'm sorry, this is going to like med medical stuff, but yeah, I mean, I have I don't know, it's surgery, but yeah, I, I've got, I've got a pacemaker in. So but, change your perspective um, for sure. Yeah. It does. It does. And, and don't, don't wait for something like that to happen. Find the, the leverage that it takes for you personally to to feel that sense of urgency and feel that that appreciation for your 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 life. Um, I mean, I'm I, I married somebody that 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 is not financially oriented and is the polar opposite of me because that works. A bad day for me might be losing money, but at the end of the day, that pales in comparison to a a, a bad day for her. A level one shock trauma ICU. 
she's a nurse, half the patients might not make it. You're dealing with life and death. Not just that, you're dealing with the family, family members. And you, you, you just have a completely different perspective. And that, that perspective balances me out because I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think a better person, investor, mom, daughter, sister, um, than I, than I would be otherwise, because I, I'm, trying to keep that perspective in front of me. Yeah, it's definitely something I've started to experience having kids and, I don't know, turning 40 and starting to, you know, see my my parents' age age and things like that. It's like, wow. I remember my dad turned 40 and I thought he was, like, super old. Someone explained it to me when I was little, like, what does over over the hill mean? Like, oh, he's halfway to being dead. It's like, as a little kid, I was like, oh, that's just, like, ancient. And I'm like, well, I I remember that thought. Of looking at my dad on his 40th and like I'm there now and it's, it's it's an interesting perspective to be well that was an awesome interview I super appreciate you coming on if people want to get to know more about you any social media website email I can put in the show notes uh so yeah I'm I'm Natalie DVB because the last name is so long uh so Natalie and then DVB on uh on facebook uh you can reach me there um otherwise i'm I'm on linkedin with my full last name and then my email is my first initial last name at gmail.com i don't have like i said um any anything fancy or it's up there and you're welcome to share awesome. my contact well, thanks for coming on natalie thanks for your time brian